Hello. Greetings. My name is Jordan, and I was going to thank you all for wearing name tags for me, but I guess you're wearing it for each other and, and me. So my name is Jordan, yes, and I'm from the land down... Oh, actually, I was born and raised in Hamilton, New Zealand, uh, but now I live in Hamilton, Ontario. I live in Stony Creek, but I'm a pastor at the Meeting House in Burlington, and yes, my wife, one of Canada's treasures, I think it was said. I will pass that along, Heather, thank you very much. And uh, yes, yeah, so she is at home with the kids this morning, debating whether she goes to church because Lucy had the sniffles. So the world we live in is a difficult one right now, but um, grateful to be here with you all this morning. I met some of you, or maybe some of your youth at Camp Kakwa, the May, I think it was in May, Senior High Retreat, was it May, James? May, Senior High Retreat, and then some at, I was doing staff training up at Camp Kakwa over the summer. So it's great to see some familiar faces and some very unfamiliar faces. So nice to, nice to meet you all. So I got invited to speak, supposedly because Owen, who's one of the youth here, kept pestering Pastor John and saying, you have to get me to speak. So good to hear that youth have a voice in the church, and uh, who knows what I'll share this morning, but hopefully I'll do Owen proud. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Jesus' centricity, something that we talk a lot about in Anabaptist churches, we keep Jesus at the center, but I'll share it maybe from a different angle than you may have heard before. So a bit of my story, I grew up in a Christian home in New Zealand, Hamilton, New Zealand, and um, wasn't really that into church. I went along because I was supposed to. I grew up in a Christian family with parents that wanted me to go to church, and my mum was always pestering me, Jordan, when are you going to get baptized? Oh, yeah, yeah, soon. One day, that, that was something for me that I didn't feel like I could do until I really made the decision for myself. But I'd always go to church, go to youth group, go to camps, and I grew up in kind of more charismatic circles, and I was the guy at those charismatic camps where like people were falling over, and I wasn't. I was, do I just weigh too much? Like I've always been quite large. Uh, I was six foot two and I was 12, and so I don't know if like, God and youth, he couldn't push me over. I'm not sure, but I grew up in these charismatic circles, and, but I never really felt anything, experienced God for myself. It was just kind of this religion my parents were into, and I kind of had to pretend to, to make sure I was included. Uh, and then one day, it was my last year of university, I was 22 years old, and I was starting to feel a bit empty inside and realizing something's off in my life. And it was in this time I went to church, there was a guest speaker from the States, and I came in late. I always come in late and then leave early so I don't have to do the, the chitter-chatter. Um, I came in late, and the lady was speaking, and once she finished her message, she pointed at me down the back. She could see me, because I was quite tall. But she pointed at me down the back and said, come forward. She didn't say it to anyone else. She said it to me. So I came forward, and then she started praying for me. And for the first time in my life... I experienced God for myself. I felt like God was real. I had this kind of warm sensation in my body. And I had this sense in my head that God was speaking to me, which I hadn't had before. And I felt like he said, Jordan, you've tried to live your own way, and it's time to follow me. And I could feel like the weightiness of that. I didn't feel like I made it up myself. I felt like... That phrase just kind of came into my memory or my mind, and I think that's like God speaking to me. And then I had this sense kind of in my gut 
that if I don't follow him now, that my life may start to go off the rails. My life up until that point I was going really well, doing well at university, I was on a scholarship for sport, I graduated top of my class in accounting at university, had a good job, Ernst & Young, that I was going to step into. Everything was going well. I was living at my parents' house, um, because, so I was under their covering still, but I was about to go off to the big city, earn lots of money, and uh, I felt like I need to figure out now that I know God's real, he's spoken to me, I've experienced him for myself, he's not the God of my parents, he's, he's a God that actually loves me, he's like, personally knows me. And so I remember walking back to my seat saying, God, I want to follow you, but I need Christian friends, like all my friends aren't Christian, go to university. And I sat down, and within a 10 seconds, two guys came over and started talking to me. And they said, oh, we recognize you from university, and in, long story short, I started being friends with their friend group, started actually attending their church. They were just there for the guest speaker and um, got Christian friends. And then I, I had this question in my heart. How do you have a relationship with an invisible person? I was supposed to follow Jesus. How do you have a relationship with an invisible person? Because I always heard you have a relationship with God. You're supposed to love God. But how do you have a relationship with someone who's invisible? And so I wanted to figure out the answer to that question. So I ended up turning down my job at Ernst & Young. I Googled, as you do, as you're trying to discern God's will. You look on Google. And uh, I found out about Youth with a Mission, a missions organization, and their slogan, which really caught my attention, was to know God and to make God known. And I was like, that seems logical. I mean, I want to know God. I want to know how to have a relationship with this guy and then make him known. Yeah, because if he's awesome, then we should be telling others about his awesomeness. Um, so went off to Youth with a Mission, and learned a lot about following God and what it means to have a relationship with an invisible guy who we call Jesus, because that's his name. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about having a relationship with Jesus. And as, as I mentioned, as Anabaptists, we talk a lot about Jesus' centricity. And for me, Jesus' centricity can mean a lot of things, and we can highlight different aspects of that. But for me, Jesus' centricity, first and foremost, is about putting your relationship with Jesus first. Jesus' centricity is first and foremost about putting your relationship with Jesus first. He didn't call us into a religion. He didn't call us to follow a bunch of, bunch of principles that he happened to espouse. He didn't call us to be good adherents to certain doctrines. First and foremost, he did call us to those things. First and foremost, he called us to have a relationship with him. And then he will teach us and guide us and lead us how to apply his teachings in our everyday life. So what I mean by that, some of you may have heard of N.T. Wright. He's a great scholar and teacher, a really great guy. But imagine if we, as Anabaptists, weren't Jesus-centric. Imagine if we were N.T. Wright-centric. And we just, on Sundays, we talked about N.T. Wright's teachings. We had small groups where we got his books and we studied N.T. Wright's teachings. We told others about N.T. Wright's teachings because his teachings are so amazing. And then one day he came to Kitchener and he was going to be here in person and we all went to, I don't know what your big building is in Kitchener, but we all went there and we heard N.T. Wright speak live and it was just amazing. We heard his voice, we saw him, we talked about him afterwards and then maybe we were walking walking by and then we actually saw N.T. Wright. And so imagine if it was me and I was N.T. Wright-centric and I went up to him and I was like, N.T. Wright, it's me, it's Jordan. 
and he may call for security. Uh, he, he may be, oh, uh, oh, hi, Jordan, do we know each other? Oh, I, I love your teachings, I follow your teachings, I have book studies about your teachings on Sunday. Every Sunday I tell people about your teachings. Oh, that's awesome, Jordan, Jordan. That's awesome, Jordan. That's so great. Well, uh, you know, have a great day, and I've just got to go to a meeting. I could be N.T. Wright, teaching-centric, but I may not know N.T. Wright. Being Jesus-centered is first and foremost about having a relationship with Jesus. In the book of Galatians, chapter 4, it says this, Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that, you, that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you. This relationship that God calls us into, that we have with Jesus. Jesus said when he was questioned, what is the, the greatest commandment? What is, what is this life all about? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you, sh and, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. First and foremost, above all else, we are to love him. And then we, as we get, as we grow in the knowledge of him, as we are conformed into the image of his son, we are pouring that out. We are knowing God, and then we are making him known. Another passage in, chap in Matthew chapter 7, as Anabaptists were rooted and grounded in the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, last week at the meeting house, we had a kind of atypical Sunday where we had different readers literally read out the whole Sermon on the Mount, and that was the teaching for us last Sunday at church. And it was, I got up afterwards to kind of debrief, and I saw in the crowd people in my congregation just with tears in their eyes, and it was powerful to see, you know, this is Jesus' teaching, and when we take it in, when we process it, when we talk to Jesus about it, about how to live it out, and then we try and live this out. It impacts us, it transforms us, it sets us free. This, this passage I find quite intense um, that Jesus spoke, but as Anabaptists, we're rooted and grounded in this portion of scripture, so we have to steer right into it. Jesus said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. <laughs> that verse freaks me out a little bit, especially the word many. There will be, Jesus said, Jesus prophesied, this is true. <laughs> we are rooted and grounded in this teaching. This is a truth. Many will stand before Jesus thinking that he knows them. Just like I thought N.T. Wright knew me. <laughs> because I, I just, I learned your teachings. I know your teachings off by heart. If I was a Pharisee, I know the whole Torah. I've memorized the whole thing. I, I know you. But the Pharisees, they stood before Jesus, some of them, and said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. This is something that, that grips me because I'm, 
I never know who these people are. They're people that may look like you and me, that are following Jesus' teachings, that are in small groups, that are doing meal things in the community, but they may not have that dynamic relationship with Jesus that is transforming their life, where they're being led by him, where they're entering into life and life more abundantly, the life that he came to give us, where they're, they're not being transformed by the renewing of their mind and experiencing true freedom in their life. And it's not our decisions. It's not up to us to know who's in, who's out, who does Jesus know, who does Jesus not know. Jesus actually did a parable about the tears and the wheat, and he said, no, you guys can't really pick who's in and who's out. Leave that to the angels at the end of the age, and they can determine who's in and who's out. And we get this as a, a centered set, um, Jesus-centered, oriented community. We are just leading people closer and closer to Jesus and how to live out uh, and model the Jesus way in our lives. Another passage I find quite striking is in 1 Corinthians. If you've been to weddings, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the chapter of love, the marvelous chapter of love, lots of warm fuzzies. But early, right at the start of the chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 2 to 3 says this. If I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. That verse is crazy. Can you imagine if someone came to your church, maybe a guest speaker, not me, but someone who came, and they, they have all faith so as to remove mountains. Like, like literally, moving mountains. Like after the service, they're like, do you guys want some construction done on your property, I can remove the hills, I can adjust the things. Uh, they, they gave all their possessions to the poor. Like they actually gave all their possessions to the poor. That seems pretty Jesus-y. That seems pretty Jesus-centered-y. Like you gave all your possessions to the poor. You took the Sermon on the Mount seriously. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You were living out the teachings of Jesus and you gave all your possessions to the poor. Whoa, this guest speaker is amazing. They can move mountains and without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you have so much faith, you can move. Whoa, you must be so pleasing to God. You give all your possessions to the poor. And then, and if I surrender my body to be burned... And this person even went off the next day and got martyred trying to reach a tribe in the Middle East. They gave their body to be burned as a martyr after giving all their possessions to the poor and moving some mountains in Kitchener. That sounds like a pretty amazing Christian. I think we'd probably, like, they'd get on Christian TV, they would, we'd have books about that person, but that person may stand before God, they stand before Jesus, and he says, you didn't do that for me. You didn't do that for love. You didn't do it for others. You were actually doing it to puff yourself up. You were doing it out of your own pride. You thought you were super great. You thought you were a super great Christian. You thought you were a super great follower of me. But actually, it profits you nothing. It's not to say that person doesn't enter into God's kingdom. The Bible talks a lot about heavenly rewards, eternal rewards, and that we give an account for our lives. And according to what we have done, we get rewarded, whether good or bad. But that kind of actions, devoid of actually being in relationship with God and actually doing it for him and for others, not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing, it profits you nothing. We can follow Jesus' teachings. We can be Jesus-centered in theory, and we're just trying to follow his principles, following his teachings, but we may not know him, and we may not be doing it for him, and we don't even realize. This happened to me 
when I first came to Canada, I got a job, and I was working at this business. I left youth with a mission, and I wanted to kind of go be a missionary in everyday life, because I was kind of sick of being around Christians all day, and why way I was like, I want to be around non-Christians. I want to go and make a difference, like, out there. I want to get out of the salt shaker, as people say, and just get on some food, uh, and go make a difference around people that don't yet know Christ. And I worked at this, this company, and things were going well. But then I got a promotion and another promotion, and then there started to be some dissension. With, so I was a manager, and then there was two other managers that had the same level of authority as me. Uh, and then these two managers started spreading rumors about me. They started saying things about how I treat my wife, and they started spreading these rumors around the company. When I would make changes, uh, they would intentionally not follow the rules. I was trying to bring health and safety up to standards. You had to wear steel-toe shoes in the manufacturing plant, but they would just wear their sneakers. And so they were just undermining everything I was doing. They would gossip about me. Uh, they would, yeah, they were just out to get me, but never talk to me about it or never confront me about anything. Just behind the scenes were trying to attack me. And so what I did, um, I was like, well, Jesus talks about you know, praying for your enemies and blessing your enemies. So I started praying for them and forgave them. And, and I felt this nudge inside, like, I need to go talk to them. I need to like, talk to them about this. And just the Bible talks about Matthew 18. You know, talk to people when you have disagreements, actually hash it out. But I kind of ignored that nudge. I was like, oh, yeah, but Jesus teaches to bless your enemies, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, bless those who, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who mistreat you. So I was just praying, I was blessing them, I was forgiving them in my heart, I didn't have any bitterness toward them. Um, in 1 Peter 2, I think it is, it says, if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So I was, you know, memorizing that scripture. Well, if I just be patient, if I'm suffering for doing what's right, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm following teachings of Peter, the scriptures, and just like Jesus, he was being reviled. He did not revile in return. He just trusted it to God. God's the judge. God will sort out this issue at work. So I just kept finding scriptures that I was comfortable with. But this, this nudge kept coming inside. You need to talk to them. It's, it's good to pray for them. It's good to bless your enemies. It's good to trust God to be the judge and not try and be your own defense attorney. Those are all good scriptures and those are all great. Those are all great principles and teachings of Jesus. But I felt like Jesus himself the one I was in relationship with, was asking me to go talk to them. And I just kept ignoring that. I kept ignoring it. And I, I, didn't, I don't think I fully realized at the time that I was ignoring Jesus so I could follow Jesus' teachings. But I was ignoring Jesus and what he was telling me to do in the moment and justifying it by seeming like a good Christian who was just following his teachings. And I imagine if, if Jesus wanted to come and quote a Bible verse to me about the situation. He may have spoken something similar from Matthew 23, which Jesus, when speaking to the Pharisees, said this, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. The Pharisees were following the law as they should in that time, but they were neglecting 
other parts of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and focusing on these things to the neglect of the even more important things. I was neglecting the more important thing, what Jesus was actually asking me to do, which is also biblical in, in the Sermon on the Mount. I forget where. It says, if your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So when you're coming to do some spiritual act of worship, you're coming to do something very spiritual and Christian-y and you look super Christian and super great, coming to present your offering at the altar, that's the holy worship, that's the law, that's, you should be doing that. And then Jesus said, hey, I don't even want that piece of your worship right now. I want you to go and be reconciled to your brother. And then, then, still come and present your offering. You're still supposed to do this. But there are things that I'm leading you to do. There's different principles and different truths that Jesus highlights in different seasons. Some seasons he may call you to give a lot of your time. And other seasons he may call you to give less because maybe you have young children and he wants you to invest in your family more. There's different seasons where you're applying Jesus' principles and Jesus' teachings in different ways. So I could imagine Jesus would rephrase that passage like this. Jordan, you pray and forgive and bless your enemies, but have neglected what I was actually asking you to do. I wanted you to go and talk to him. Yes, you should always pray, forgive and bless, but these things you should have done without neglecting what I was actually asking of you. It can be so easy to think we're putting Jesus at the center. I thought I was at the time, I think, because I was following his teachings but I wasn't following him. Like I was following him, yes. And actually, I mean, God's very gracious and very kind and very understanding and meets us in our weakness. And I mean, to this day, I'm now friends with those two people. I had one of them was over at my house this week. And so the, the relationship has been restored and it's great. Um, so it's not that if you don't follow all the steps or if you don't follow what Jesus is nudging you towards, you know, everything's going to fall apart. No, he, our God is a God that loves mercy. Micah 7 verse 18 says, our God delights in mercy. And meditating on that truth will transform your life. Because whenever you make any kind of mistake or miss something that God's leading you to, realizing that God delights in mercy, like he just loves showing mercy. He's like so excited to show mercy. He's like, yeah, you you did it wrong, but yeah, come back to me. Just like the prodigal son story when the son starts getting hungry because he's eating, you know, he's tempted by the pig's food. And he's like, if I go home, I'll get better food. He's not even coming home for the right reasons. And his dad's like, oh, my son. Runs to him, hugs him. I'm not worthy to be, yeah, whatever. Let's throw a party. Let's kill the fattened calf. Like God delights in showing mercy. So I'm very grateful that in my weakness of trying to follow Jesus and kind of missing it and upon reflection realizing, oh, I was putting your teachings above actually following you and knowing you're the one that's to show me which teaching to apply. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of what Jesus has spoken. So at the right time, knowing the right thing to apply. We can be Jesus-centered, teaching-centered, but not be Jesus-centered. The living a Jesus-centered life is first and foremost about putting your relationship with Jesus first. So when I, so going back to what I said at the start, when I first gave my relationship, gave my life to God, and I had that one question, how do you have a relationship with an invisible person? 
And I learned a lot of things over the last number of years. But one thing that is, that is central, that is crucial, that is essential to relationship with anyone, God included, Jesus included, is communication. If you want to have a relationship with someone, there has to be some level of communication. And it has to be two-way communication, like the N.T. Wright situation. I'd been listening to his communication, but he hadn't been connecting to my communication. There wasn't a two-way communication. And God wants to have a two-way communication with us. Jesus wants to speak to you and guide you and lead you and and help the scriptures come alive and help his teachings come alive and, and help you know how to apply them at your workplace, in your family life, on your Sabbath, however you live your life. He wants to help make these teachings come alive in your everyday. And I've found that prayer, talking to God about his teachings, helps me to live out his teachings in the everyday life. I kind of see the Bible, you know, as Anabaptists, we know that some churches are more Bible-centered, we're more Jesus-centered. I kind of see the Bible as kind of like a menu at a restaurant. Imagine being like a connoisseur of the menu. So you go to Turtle Jack's, and you just know that menu. You know it off by heart. You know, the waiter comes to try and tell you the specials. But you're like, hey, wait a minute, John. Um, these are the specials of the day. I know it off by heart. I know what the secret ingredient is that the, the chef uses. And you're just recounting the whole menu to the, the waiter. And the waiter's like, wow, that's amazing. Well, anyway, so, so what would you like to order? Actually, I, I don't want to order anything. That was great. Thank you very much. And the person leaves. You can, you can be a connoisseur of the menu. You can be a connoisseur of the Bible. But if you don't actually go from the menu to ordering something on the menu and actually experiencing the thing that the menu was talking about, that the menu is a picture of, the menu is trying to point you towards, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. But the scriptures, they point to the steak, I mean to me. They point to the meal. They point to the bread of life. They point to Jesus himself. The scriptures aren't life. Jesus is the life. And the scriptures reveal him. And I've found one way to turn the menu, to turn the Bible into not just a menu, but into actually enjoying a satisfying meal that nourishes my soul to actually receive my daily bread and another portion of my daily bread and another portion, I'm quite a hungry guy, is through prayer. Jesus, you say, I'm supposed to leave my offering at the altar? And I know that if my brother has something against me, but like I don't have something against these people at work. I've forgiven them. I don't have anything against them. If they have something against me, this is me praying, by the way. If they have something against me, then they should come and talk to me. But the similar amount says that if your brother has something against you, then I'm supposed to go and be reconciled? Oh, now another verse is coming to mind. Pursue peace with everyone. Oh, as far as it depends on you. Oh, I guess I could. I could go to him, but... But he should be coming to me. You know, my pride comes up. And I'm talking to Jesus about his teachings. This is when you start to experience the grace of God helping you to live out those teachings. You actually start to have a sense of, oh, okay, that was my pride, and Jesus is asking this of me. There's another passage, I think it's Hebrews 4. It says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive grace 
So we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We actually have to draw near to the throne of grace. We actually have to come near to Jesus so we can receive the mercy, so we can receive the grace to help us to go and be reconciled to the person that's being a jerk and love the person that Jesus loves. We're supposed to love our enemies. To be Jesus-centered as Anabaptists, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, first and foremost being Jesus-centered is about putting your relationship with Jesus first. That helps us to fulfill the meaning of our whole life, which is summed up in this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And, you, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor and make them meals and include them and welcome them and bless them and accept them. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And so my encouragement to us all today is to continue to seek to put Jesus at the center. And that prayer is a helpful tool for that. And prayer and community, sharing with your small groups, sharing with, we call them home churches at the meeting house, I'm not sure what you call them here. But discussing with others, oh, like, I'm having this issue at work and I'm sensing this, I'm doing this, but do you think that I'm supposed to actually go and be, rec- like, I'm supposed to initiate? And we process in community. We believe in a community hermeneutic where we discern together what is God speaking to us because God's speaking can get super weird. Um, feeling God's leading in a moment can, can go off. But there's safety in community. And uh, it's one of the core values of the meeting house is community. I'm not sure what the core value is here, but it's an Anabaptist, it's a belief. That community is something key. And we need each other to discern what God is saying to support each other, to access that grace, to access that mercy, so we can go and live out this way of Jesus that transforms us. It's not just teachings that we apply, because that doesn't really change us. Following what Jesus, the letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. So you can follow the law, you can follow Jesus' teachings and his principles, but devoid of actually Jesus asking you to follow that, sometimes it can actually just drain you out, and tire you out, stress you out but following him in line with what he's doing in the moment in community can bring you life and life to the full. So it's always a wrestle. Following Jesus is very difficult. and uh, We never get 100% right any day of the week, but we get to enjoy his mercy and the look on his face that is full of delight when we come to him and go, oh, Jesus, I should have talked to those guys, but I didn't. Why are you so happy when I'm talking to you about this? I stuffed up. And we experience more of who he is, which makes us love him more, which makes us fulfill the reason for our existence more, which is to love him. And this is the journey of being Jesus-centered. So I'm going to pray, and uh, then I'll walk off the stage. So Jesus, we thank you that you are here, that we we just talked about you, but I thank you that now we, we get to talk to you that we're two or more are gathered together in your name, that you're here in our midst. And so, Jesus, we just, we just look to you right now. You are the author of life. You are our joy. You are our peace. You are the meaning of our existence. You are love. You are truth. You are healing. You are life. And you know what each one of us needs to hear this morning. You know what you want to give to each one of us, what grace you want to give to us what words you may want to speak to our hearts, what things you may want to bring to our remembrance. Help us 
to follow you. Help us to know you so that we can be set free, so that we can be blessed, so that we can be a blessing in this world around us. And we pray this in, in your name. Amen.